Well, good morning, ZPC. Well, let me just say, if you were at the brunch last week, what a great time that was and great food. And so I want to thank publicly Randy LaFoon and um, all of his minions who were there and um, all of his brothers and sisters in Christ, I guess I should say, who helped. And uh, it was just a great time, as I talked about last week, of community and of eating. And um, so just a great, great time together. And um, so we are continuing in our look this week at the Sermon on the Mount. And so today um, we're finishing out the fifth chapter. Again, the Sermon on the Mount, the fifth, sixth, and seventh chapters of Matthew. So um, it's a long sermon. And, um, and so today we're looking at the very end of the fifth chapter. And so let me invite you to hear these words from Jesus as he preaches. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we do give you praise for being able to hear the choir this morning, for their coming and singing and leading us in worship. We give you praise, Lord, for the sunshine, for the reminder that you are the light of the world. We pray, Lord, that you would give us strength, strength to follow you, wisdom to know how to do that, and the heart, the love, and the compassion that is sometimes so difficult for us to have. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, after dealing uh, over the last uh, few weeks with uh, difficult issues like uh, anger and lust and divorce, I got to tell you, this week I was pretty relieved to only have to talk about turning the other cheek and loving your enemies. And I, uh, you know, you might think that I'm kidding in some way by saying that, but in reality I'm being really pretty honest because I know, if you're anything like me, that what we do when it comes to texts like this where it talks about loving your enemy and simply turning the other cheek, that we read the scripture, we perhaps listen to the sermon, we, we smile, we take a phone call. <laughs> then 
We walk out, and it doesn't change us at all because we don't even try. The reality is that this is such a difficult lesson that it seems unattainable. It's a bit like whenever I will play this little high five game, I guess as most of you have played perhaps at some point with a child, and where I'll sit there with my girls and they'll give me a five and, and then go a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And as long as they think there's some chance that they can hit it, they'll keep going. But as soon as I go like this, they'll either just look at me, that, you know, that little daughter look, they're just like, or they'll just walk away. And the reality is somewhat similar. If it's a passage that you think you might be able to get, you might be able to do what Jesus says, then, then you'll keep trying. But whenever he says something like, oh, turn the other cheek, or love your enemy, we simply give that look of, oh, there's just Jesus being Jesus, and we walk away. And so in many ways, it would be fairly easy for us today, for me to just kind of, you know, talk you know, a little bit, well, just do your best, and, uh, and then wait till next week where we'll have the sixth chapter, something you can actually do. But since we're here, we might as well at least take a somewhat careful look and see what we might not extract. If perhaps there is something here in these words of Jesus that might speak to us. It'd probably be good for us to start off kind of by just looking at what exactly Jesus says. He does something fairly similar to what he did just last week when it comes to divorce. He, you see, the law, as we talked about last week, the law, whenever the law was passed for, uh, for divorce and making sure that they had a divorce certificate that the woman did, what the law was trying to do was something good. It was trying to say, you can't just divorce your wife willy-nilly and just allow her then to just go off and not be remarried and have to fend for herself. So the law was good, and then Jesus comes in, and he, he sharpens it even more. Well, it's similar to, to what we see this week. You know, it's easy for us as we, we think about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to think, well, that just seems kind of harsh. But in the time whenever that law was around, or when it started, actually, right before that, what people were doing, well, well let's just say that you stole a cow, right? Well, all of a sudden, then, the people whose cow had been stolen would go, and they could kill the thief's family. Right? And so that seems a little bit much. And so when the law was initially put in there, it was to try and bring some justice, right? If, if your cow gets stolen, you don't go and kill the other person's family. Maybe you just take a cow from them, right? So this is what Jesus, so this was what the law was. So then what Jesus is saying is he bringing in, again, like divorce, is he's sharpening it a little bit more. And he's saying, well, Perhaps, instead of even seeking retribution, what you might do is simply forgive. So the example that he gives is the example of, of, of turning the other cheek. And I, I ask Scott, will you come up here real quick? I, oh, any opportunity I have um, to show me slapping uh, Scott is great. So, 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 yeah, you can stand right there. That's great. Right, great. So I'll just keep preaching if you can just stand there. So, um, just get it. Yeah, oh, nice. So, so. What they're saying, right, you may already know this, but what he's saying, you know, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, right? And, and most people, of course, whenever they were talking, they were thinking it was a right-handed person. And, and so typically, if you're a right-handed person, of course, you're not slapping on the... That would be his left cheek. I know it's confusing. And so if it's his right cheek, it means I'm slapping him like mm -hmm. this, right? In other words... Thanks, Scott. Okay, Next, at, the, at the 1030, I'll actually do it. So at, at, what it means then is when you give a backhand... 
of course, this wasn't really so much a physical act as it was an emotional insult. It is as if that's something that you would do to a child. It's something you would do to an inferior, if you will. So that's exactly, so that's really what Jesus is saying is if someone insults you, not really if someone hits you, but if someone insults you, then your call, he says, is to rather than insulting that person back, is to simply be there. So then the next thing, right? He says, if someone asks for your coat, and uh, well, then go ahead and give them, I can never remember. It, maybe it's the cloak. I don't know. You look it up. So whichever one it is, if, if, he, if, if he wants you, if he's suing for your coat, let's say, well, go ahead and give him your cloak as well. And we kind of think, well, that kind of means that, you know, if, if they want one thing, we just give them two things. Except for the fact that in Jesus' time, they wore typically two articles of clothing. Which meant that if you gave them your coat and you, you also gave them your cloak, that you were, you, you guys are good, see? And so then you're vulnerable. Then Jesus goes on and he says, okay, well, if someone makes you walk one mile, then you, you walk two. You, you, you carry it too, right? And again, I'm, I'm sure that most of you know this already, but in that time and place, if a Roman soldier, let's say, came along and said, I want you to carry this, they could make you carry anything, much like Simon of Cyrene carried uh, the cross for Jesus. And so he says, okay, but you could only carry it. The law said you could, he could only force you to carry it one mile. So then Jesus says, well, why don't you just go ahead and you take it that one mile and then you just take it one more. Jesus then closes out by saying, if anyone's begging, give to them. If anyone needs to borrow something from you, you loan it to them. It's an interesting part of the passage. And the question then is, what exactly is Jesus wanting from us? Is Jesus wanting us to be doormats or to be walked on? Is Jesus wanting us to be naked and just walking around carrying stuff to and fro? I would say probably not. I don't think that Jesus simply wants us to just be, you know, there being abused. I don't think that Jesus wants us to simply, you know, be able to just be naked and, and, and carrying things around. That just seems kind of odd. But I do think. That the reason why Jesus uses these striking images is in order to jar us and to enact what Jesus wants us to do towards those who are our enemies, towards those perhaps who we disdain or perhaps who disdain us. In other words, what Jesus is trying to do is shock us and shock those disciples with what he was saying as a way of helping us to see that we are called in our actions to shock others. Del Bruner puts it like this. He says, we're not called to fight or to flee. We are called to stand there, to face our opponent, and to surprise them by the way in which we react. See, a part of the struggle that we have, a part of the reason why we aren't very good at being witnesses, a part of the reason why, as we've been talking about over this uh, past few weeks, of why sometimes we aren't as good at, at giving glimpses of God's coming kingdom is because of the fact that we don't react all that strangely. We react in the same way that people think we should react. 
In other words, if someone insults me or I feel like insults God, what do I do? I get angry and defensive. If someone makes me feel vulnerable or if I think the church in our society is vulnerable, what do we do? Well, we, we get angry or we get defensive or we fight back or we try to take that coat back that that person tried to take. And because of that, it is not surprising to anyone. In fact, because of that, it doesn't ever point beyond ourselves because we just think, well, that's what that person should do. Right? It's, it's a little bit kind of the positive light of, of let's just say that you meet somebody or you see somebody that you know and you say, wow, it's just a, you know, it's, it's a beautiful day out. And they're like, are you kidding me? This day is horrible. It's disgusting. It's the worst day ever. What do you think when someone says that? You think something must be going on. Right? If they just said it's a beautiful day, it wouldn't be striking. Okay, everything's just fine. What happens when in a positive way you begin to respond to someone in a positive way, in a surprising way, in a way that is remarkably loving, in a way that they say, I can't believe that that person responded like that. I wonder what is going on. In other words, I wonder if there isn't something else. I I wonder what happened to that person. I wonder perhaps if there isn't something that I don't see. In fact, what you're doing is giving them a glimpse into God's kingdom, a glimpse into a different kind of world. I think that all too often we we forget. I, I don't even know that we can completely understand what it was like for Jesus and for the Jews in that time. We don't, we don't really probably understand what it was like to, to not have any power, to not have any control, to not have any say, to not have any rights. But what Jesus does in the midst of all of that Do you notice what he doesn't do? He doesn't say fight back. He doesn't say you take that control. He doesn't say you give just as much as you received. He changes the conversation in such a way that it forces people to wonder, why is he acting in such a surprising manner? He, he, he doesn't say you've got to get back that power. He doesn't say you have to take control. What he does is he says, let's act in such a way, community of faith. Let's act in such a way that people will begin to notice that something is different about you, that you are pointing to something beyond yourself. Because as long as we simply do what people expect, we will never... Be the witness that Christ desires us to be. But that's not easy for most of us. It's not easy for us to respond in a way that is not natural. But of course, it wouldn't have been easy for the disciples either. In fact, One of the things that would have been very difficult is for them to have heard what Jesus said next. Jesus says, to love your enemies. And you see, the enemies, of course, for the disciples then, were all around them. It was the Romans. It was the Roman soldiers. 
So think about this. There you are. This is your land. And all of a sudden, the Romans have taken it over. It is now they are possessing a land that you believe is rightfully yours. Perhaps they've been in a war. Perhaps one of your own family member was killed by one of these Romans. The Romans who were never afraid to show off their power. The Romans who were never afraid to tell you how little you were worth. And all of a sudden, Jesus says to you, oh yeah, by the way, these imperialists whom you absolutely hate, you you should love them. It's almost treasonous, really. I mean, what you're saying, Jesus, is these people who we really want to simply fight, who we really want to try to figure out how we can get them off of us, that we're supposed to love them. How are we supposed to do that? And I have to be honest with you, I, my guess is, as I was thinking about it this week, that maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe Jesus doesn't get nervous. If it were me, I would have been nervous. And as I was thinking about it, I realized that I even had a tinge of anxiety about even talking about this today, because in some ways, this is the most perfect time to talk about enemies, and in some ways, this is the worst time. It's perfect, of course, because enemy talk is all around us. Some of it is real, some of these enemies we talk about, some of them just perceived, right? Enemies like like, like terrorists, or maybe Muslims, or refugees, illegal immigrants, Republicans, Democrats, New England patriots. It's, It's all around us. Right? And so it's easy because when we think enemies, most of us, some of us can think about a particular enemy that we think we have. But it's also dangerous because we're in such a polarized world right now that as soon as I begin to bring it up, if I were to bring up one particular one to say that we're supposed to love them, half of you would get angry. I mean, unless we were talking about the patriots and then most of us would be in agreement. And so I was wondering how I should talk about that today and then... Providentially, I discovered that I don't have to talk about it. That actually, I can have one of our covenant children talk about it. Earlier this week, I received an email that had attached to it a video, a video uh, in which uh, Nick Beckert is a part. Now, Nick is, um, uh, Nick is what I would consider a covenant child of ZPC. I mean, he's, he, he's a young adult now, so he's not really a child, but he used to go to, he was a part of the high school ministry here. He, uh, many of you know him, some of you don't, but many of you do. And uh, he was a part of the high school ministry here. He would, lead, he would help lead some of the awakening that we do. He went on some short-term mission trips, just as a quick plug, and Nick now works for a Samaritan's Purse, and so he's always going around the globe doing different things. But in this particular video, uh, uh, Nick is, is in Croatia, and, and, and in this video, they, they, they look in Greece and Croatia, and they opened up kind of camps to help refugees from, pr- primarily Muslim refugees, from Syria and Iraq. And so I'm not going to show us the whole video because it would take a little bit too much time. We're just going to show the important parts, right, with Nick in it, right? And so, and so but I want us to just to watch this, this little clip here of this video. The average person is staying here one to three days until they uh, get on a ferry and then they go up to the mainland, up to uh, Athens, where they move into the human highway uh, to move further up into Germany. We want to be secure. If we have good security, we don't need to camp here. 
I'm 15 years old. You're 15? Yes. I'm single with my friends. The way was very hard for we because uh, we see a lot of uh, problems in, in this way. We see the people who died. That was very difficult for me. What we want to do is help them right here in this position, in this ditch of life where they are right now. Uh, they're in a hard situation, so Samaritan's Purse is here to help them in the name of Jesus. We're in Slavonsky Broad, Croatia right now, uh, which is in between Serbia and Slovenia. It's in the Balkans, so it's north of Greece. Uh, we've been seeing 7,000 to 9,000 people coming through each day. You gotta be ready for everything, and so that's why we've got people here 24 hours a day. We have a lot going on. Currently in Slavonsky Broad, backpack distribution to the women and children. The children are the ones that we see the most joy uh, on their faces because they get blankets in there, they get you know, other things, hygiene stuff, um, wet wipes for the mothers with the babies. We're also helping them with the shower containers that we've provided and hand washing stations, towels that are being distributed inside the sectors. Behind me over here, uh, you can see our, our blankets. Uh, and these are delivered every day. So refugees come in, it's very cold at night. They'll use the blankets. And uh, when they're left behind, dirty, we take them, wash them, and bring them back here so that people have another warm blanket for the next night. There's a lot of pain, anxiety. Children are often crying. When they're not, they're laughing. So they go to extremes, <laughs> as children do. We're smiling at them. We're saying good evening or have a good night or have safe travels, and they like it. As this is going and continues, we ask for your continued support at home, uh, that you would be praying for all of these refugees as they come through, uh, and also be praying for the work that Samaritan's Purse is doing here in Greece and Croatia. Now, Nick Beckert is actually here. He's, Nick, do you just want to, I know. Can you just stand up real quick, Nick, just as a way of. Uh... And one of the reasons why, of course, this is a striking image to me is because of the fact that it is a group of Christians who are saying, Rather than simply running away from those whom some might deem as enemies, we are going to go towards them. And we are going to love them and we are going to be vulnerable in their midst. Right? One of the reasons why when you see Nick or you see that video, why there's a part of you that wants to applaud is because you know it's different. You know it's unique. You know it's pointing towards something bigger than them. And it's pointing to the kingdom of God and what God has called us to do. So one of the questions then that we have to ask is, is first of all, for a personal enemy. If you have an enemy of yours personally, the question is, when's the last time you did something surprising to them? Something that wouldn't make sense. Or perhaps even more like a church. When's the last time? When have we, are we acting in surprising ways towards those whom others might think are enemies? 
One of the great opportunities that we have, if it is true, and I understand why it certainly seems oftentimes as if it is true that society is pushing away from the church, then rather than getting angry and wringing our hands about it, what if we see it as a remarkable opportunity because we will have so many more chances now to love, so many more chances now to do surprising things that people are not expecting. Now, I'm tempted at this point to simply say, go and do. To simply say, let's get out there. Let's love more. Let's, let's surprise our enemies. But I realize that that may not be the best way to start. And it's why I was taken by the very last verse of this passage. It says this, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now at first blush, that's not very reassuring, right? It's, oh great, I have to turn the other cheek, I've got to love my enemy, and now I'm supposed to be perfect. Well, this, thanks just for the bar, it's pretty high. But the understanding of perfect that's in here is not really how we understand perfect. In fact, the word looks more like kind of, it's where we get our word end or telos from. It's the sense of kind of being just like you will be at the end. In other words, it's a little bit more like what we talked about a few weeks ago when we said that Jesus said, not you should be the salt and light, but you are the salt and light. In other words, it's being exactly who Jesus thinks you already are, who he sees you as being, as a loved child of God. The message is a paraphrase of the Bible. Eugene Peterson did it. I want you to see how he, how he uh, translated this verse. He says, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You are kingdom subjects. Remember that kingdom verbiage. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. In other words, what this verse is saying is live out who you are, which is a loved child of God. And only when you begin to do that will you be able to love others in this way. Let me put it in a different way. I think sometimes it's really hard for us to understand how loved we are by God. And so this week I was teaching a women's Bible study on the book of Zephaniah. Is anyone, is that their favorite book, Zephaniah? Well, it wasn't mine either. The first couple chapters are kind of rough. And then you get to the third chapter. In the third chapter, the 17th verse, Zephaniah says this, The Lord your God is in your midst. A warrior who gives victory, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of a festival. Do you hear what he's saying there? He will rejoice over you with gladness, that he loves you so much that he is going to sing about you. Scott Hosey says it's much like acting as if Jesus has pictures of you in his wallet and he's going through it, right? Or, or it's almost, I would suggest, like a grandparent to a grandchild. You see, he's scrolling through, and what he's doing, I want you to know this, and I want to come down here because I wish that I had the time to come down to every person, but I want you to know that when God looks at you, he looks through and he says, there is a picture of Chuck. 
I love him. And then he's continuing on. You know, he just keeps going through and he keeps seeing person after person. There's Carolyn. (laughs) You remember that time? Man, I love Carolyn. And he keeps going through and he keeps scrolling through and he sees Todd and he sees Stan and he sees Chip. He sees all of you and he's going through and he's saying, man, I love you so much. Do you ever think about God like that? Oftentimes when we think of God, we, all we do is we think about the things that he must see, the things that he must not like. And I want you to know that when God sees you, first and foremost, he sees a grandchild. He sees a child that he absolutely loves. And what I want to suggest to you is that until we begin to understand the kingdom like that. Only when we begin to see that, only when we begin to see that when Jesus looks at us, when God looks at us, that he smiles, that only then can we begin to be free. Free to do what? Free to not return an insult because we know that we're loved by God. Free to love even our greatest of enemies because we know to be vulnerable in front of them because we know that we've been loved by God. Not only that, but in so doing, do we begin to understand that we are reflecting the kingdom of God to them. That they may know that when God flips through and sees them, that they are loved by him. In this way, do we give glimpses of God's kingdom In this way, does the kingdom of earth come on earth, or the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven? May it be so. Amen.